Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing and eating. Fish Clay Groves hanging out with you today. Hope you're doing great. I'm Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend. How are you? <laughs> All right, so today's episode of the Fish Nerds belongs to Jeff Danielson. Jeff Danielson is our Fish Nerds librarian, the Evan librarian as we call him. And he went to Alaska and he's going to talk about hunting the elusive Arctic grayling. Yeah, that's a fish. <laughs> here we go. Here's Jeff. Hey, nerds. Jeff Theffin, librarian here. I just got back from Fairbanks, Alaska. I went there. Uh, my stepchild is interested in going to the University of Alaska at Fairbanks. And so we went up there for a campus visit to get an idea of what the town is like. Uh, you know, just check things out. And kind of made a mini vacation out of it. Managed to fly my son up from... Uh, Washington. We managed to get this trip only because some really cheap flight tickets came available, and so it wasn't super planned. And so I did not have time to like book a guide or anything like that. So it was all do-it-yourself fishing adventures. And so when you think of Alaska fishing, what you think of is salmon, 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 and then rainbow trout. And then if you're fishing offshore, if you're fishing out in the ocean, you think of halibut, you know, and maybe like lingcod and rockfish and stuff like that. But in the interior, things are very different. This, you know, that all that is like southern and kind of along the coasts of Alaska, you know. But when you get into the interior, there are no rainbow trout. They don't, they don't make it all the way up there. There are salmon. Um, fortunately, I will say this is that the salmon season was closed while I was there. And that's a good thing because that means that I didn't have to share any rivers with a bunch of, uh, meat. Well, I'm just going to call meat fishermen because that is really kind of the, the mentality there is stock your freezer. There are a lot of salmon, and so, yes, that's, that's you know, anywhere you can get to by road, there's going to be a bunch of people fishing for salmon, and it can be combat fishing. So I wasn't looking forward to any of that. So what I wanted to catch was the fish of the interior, which are Arctic grayling and northern pike. Now, northern pike, you can catch lots of places. I have never caught one before on a regular rod, let alone a fly rod. And that's just purely, I haven't had the opportunity. There are some places in Missouri and Kansas that are stocked with northern pike, but they're not great fisheries. I mean, you do a lot of fishing and not a lot of catching. Um, up there, there's tons of pike, you know, like, especially the smaller ones. We'll get back to that. But the other fish is the Arctic grayling. And boy, you're not going to catch that anywhere really other than i think there's a remnant population in montana and they've been introduced they do stock them in some high mountain lakes uh, across the west but you got to hike up high mountains to get to 
anywhere that's got grayling. And the grayling you catch are going to be small. They're not going to be very big. They just don't get very big in those high mountain lakes. Whereas in the drainages around Fairbanks, it's not uncommon to catch a 20-inch grayling. And that's just, you know, that's a huge grayling. If you ever seen the one that people seen the ones that people catch out of these alpine lakes out west you know six eight inches so i really really that was my number one thing that i wanted to catch was an arctic grayling and i did it i didn't get to fish much i only got to fish about a day and a half of like real fishing because it was a family vacation not a jeff fishing vacation a Jeff fishing vacation would have been jeff fishes 18 hours a day because that's the amount of time that, that it was light <laughs> and you know sleeps four hours and fish gets up and fishes again and does that and repeats until he collapses um so i fished the upper china river for arctic grayling and i caught them i had to i had to go quite a ways upstream and get up into the head more headwatery area i did find one good spot that was I had checked in at the local sporting goods store called Big Ray's and went to their fly department and asked the dude up there, you know, hey, you know, where can I, where's, where's good spots to catch grayling? And he, he told me. And the first place I went to was indeed a good spot. There was two guys camped out in it with spinning rods and they were just, you know, catching fish after fish after fish. And this is all catch and release. It's accessible by road. So it is... This is as good of art of Arctic grayling fishing as you're going to find anywhere that's accessible by road. I'm sure that if you fly into more remote country, you could get even more. But the fact that it's 100% catch and release means that it's not particularly hard fishing. Um, or at least there's plenty of fish. So these two guys were camped out in this really nice hole where two parts of this river came together it was a smaller side channel and a large main channel and it kind of had a little drop off with a current seam and they were just casting in there with spinners and just pulling fish after fish out but they weren't moving you know you kind of etiquette is is that if you see somebody you know, if, if you've got a hole and you're catching fish and you know you've caught a bunch of fish you you, you move out and let somebody else fish it well, they weren't. They were just going to stay there. And so I waded across the river to get to it from the other side. And I was using a, I was, at this point, I was using a five weight uh, fly rod. And I waded across that side channel. As I was wading across, I was like, oh, look, there's a grayling. There's another grayling. Those are huge grayling. And then I realized they were chum salmon. And I was like, oh, no, am I in a red? And luckily I wasn't, but they were all around me. And so I walked right through a whole bunch of uh, spawning chum salmon in this little side channel. That was pretty cool. Um, managed to avoid the reds because you could see them. They were, you know, they'd clean the rocks off. I don't know if they were actively spawning or not, but they were definitely camping out over those, those reds. Um, so I got around to the other side, was swinging a soft hackle through there, managed to hook up, caught a really nice grayling. It's probably 15, 16 inch grayling. Caught it kind of was hoping that those guys would move out of that hole, but they never did. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to pack it up and go up to the next part of the river. Went up there. It was a, you know, the river's big in this part of the river that I was fishing. And I think when the guy was telling me, oh, these are really good places to fish, I think he means from a drift boat. <laughs> and so, you know, I fished some there, but it was big and featureless. And I'm not a big fan of like wading 
in places that I've never waited before. Uh, you know, it's just I I didn't want to take a dive, even though it's right by the car and stuff. It's like that water is still pretty doggone cold. Um, so I wasn't an aggressive waiter to get across to find some of the good spots, you know, and I hit another spot that he'd recommended again. I think these were great spots to fish from a boat, but they were not great spots for fishing for, from like waiting for, with a fly rod. And, you know, if you had a spinning tackle and you cast a mile, it was fine. But, you know, I'm not a super fly caster by any stretch of the imagination. And then you also have, you know, the problems of drag. If you do manage to cast an 80-foot cast, you've got to manage all the drag problems and stuff like that. So... I decided to go on up to where it's much shallower and or much smaller river. So it split off into the West Fork and the North Fork of the Chena River. I fished the North Fork and I've managed to come across water that was the kind of water that I like to fish. So it was much smaller, um, easily weightable. You could literally see exactly where the fish were going to be. And sure enough, they were. Um, and I fished that with Tenkara. And I got to tell you, man, that is... There may not be a better Tinkara fish than than Arctic grayling because they like a they'll come up off the bottom to take a a wet fly if they can see it they'll swim up out of four or five feet of water to take it um, they're not like trout that sit there and you know will kind of hover underneath the surface in a little feeding lane and if it doesn't drift right past them just right they'll they'll ignore it now those those grayling if they see it. They're going to go after it. Um, and so the flies that I used were all brightly colored. I used some that were like very traditional Tinkara flies. So I were using some that were the, I mean, they were very simple flies. So it was just a body of bright pink dubbing, uh, fluorescent fuchsia, sinews laser dub to be exact, and then a pheasant soft hackle. So on um, some of them had the forward facing soft hackle like. You would see that's called the Sakasa Kabari. That's kind of the iconic Tenkara fly. Then you have what's called the Jun Kabari, which is looks just like a regular soft hackle. It's got the soft hackle going backwards the way that we typically think of a, of a fly having. And then I had the Ozark's favorite crackleback. So this is a fly that you know is very popular at the Missouri trout parks like Bennett Spring and Roaring River, which are about as far from... You know, I'm out in basically, although there's a road, this is pretty much wilderness. I mean, there's a road, but that's the only road for hundreds of miles. If you were to just take off walking, you could walk until you hit the Arctic Ocean if you walk north. There's not another road. <laughs> and so, uh, actually, I think you'd hit one more road after maybe 100 miles, and then you might hit keep going until you went through the Brooks Range and went to the Arctic Ocean. So, needless to say, it's, you know, pretty different. Um, even though it was right by a road, the, the, these fish were not skittish in the least. They were very aggressive biters, uh, put up a great fight. They jump. Even the little ones are fun to catch. Um, and, boy, I wish that I could have fished more. I could have... Once I figured that out up on that upper stretch of the North Fork of the China, I would have liked to have been back every day because I think I could have racked, I mean, I could have caught hundreds of these things. Um, 
as it was, I caught like 10 in an hour because it was towards the end of the day when I actually got up there and, and was like, all right, this looks like water. I know how to fish. So that accomplished. My next goal was to catch a Northern Pike. And I know yeah, you can catch Northern Pike anywhere, but I've never caught one. And I thought, well, it's a good opportunity. So I had an eight weight fly rod and had exactly one pike leader with a wire tippet on it. And I had some pike flies. Um, my son at the same time was using one of my Tinkara rods because there was supposed to be grayling in this uh, little slough off the lower Chena River where you could also catch northern pike. So he was he was messing around trying to catch a catch a grayling and hooked up on a pike with a Tinkara rod. And unfortunately, 5X tippet is not going to withstand pike teeth. And so then... You know, I at one point I found some discarded mono on the side of the on the bank and tried to make up a shock leader for him, but then he, he didn't hook up again after that. But I managed to catch one little northern pike, call him a hammer handle. You know, I can't tell you how long it was, twelve I don't know. There's a video on the on the page of, of me catching it. Not a big pike. But it's a pike, and I caught it on a fly rod on a fly that I tied, which is exactly what I wanted, and I caught it in Alaska, so that's pretty darn cool. I can catch a big trout. I can catch a big pike some other time, but that was my first pike. Caught it on a fly I tied, and I caught it in Alaska, so that was pretty cool. So that's it. All in all, great trip. I really want to go back and be able to dedicate some time to some real fishing. I would really like to be able to get a guide to take me out and hit that bigger part of the China where you really need a boat to fish it because I gather you can really just rack up some serious fish and that, that's where you're going to catch the really big 20, 20 plus inch uh, grayling is on that lower part. But the upper part, I could fish that you know, there's miles and miles of that. And, you know, not all of it's accessible by road. So if you just start hiking up the river, you can catch a ton of fish. And I'd also like to get a, a float plane, take me out to a place called Minto Flats, um, where there's some lakes out there. It's not far from Fairbanks. It's just there's no way to get there other than an airplane. And I guess there's some real trophy pike in there, and they're not hard to catch. And so I'd love to fly out there, have a guided trip out there. And, of course, I want to fish the southern part of Alaska, too, and catch some of those salmon and stuff. I've caught salmon in, in when I lived in Washington. I caught them all on conventional gear, never caught any on fly gear. So I'd really like to do some fly fishing for salmon, and Alaska would be the place to do that. But, you know... That's for another trip. So I really enjoyed the trip. I learned a lot about do-it-yourself fishing. Uh, I would recommend that, if at all possible, you get a guide. And you could have cut out a lot of my learning curve, which cost me most of the day of fishing until I got to the really productive water for the kind of fishing that I like to do. Um, and I'm sure I could have caught more pike if I had a guide, even just there around town. But they were all booked by the time that I knew that we were going to be going to Alaska for sure. So... Yeah, so, and I also want to talk at some point about the the travails of trying to get fishing gear to Alaska because airlines do not make it easy for you to travel with fishing gear. They have some really arcane rules that I really appear mainly designed to relieve you of money in the term, in 
baggage fees. And so traveling with fly fishing equipment, traveling with fishing equipment, period, I think is a subject that I am going to do an entire segment on because uh, I was only to ta- able to take a limited amount of stuff. And that actually ended up being an issue because at one point when we were first got there, I was fishing out at a lake around close to town there. I just wasn't really expecting to catch anything but stocked rainbows, but I managed to dump out at some point, And I don't know when and where else I'd have gone back and looked, but I dumped out my entire box of dry flies. Every last one of them, except for a handful of flies, including those cracklebacks that I had in another box. So I dumped out over a hundred dry flies, all hand tied that I tied myself, you know, some of them tied specifically for this, but it was hours and hours and hours and hours worth of flies, and I dumped them out. So whoever found a pile of dry flies at Chena Lake Recreation Area, you're welcome. I left those there for you. I'm the fly fairy. Um, but yeah, I would wish that I had had my big old Plano box full of all kinds of dry flies instead of just a limited number that I'd taken, because I have hundreds, if not thousands, of them here at my uh, tying bench, but I did not have them with me at the time because of space and weight um, limits on what you can pack and send on an airplane. So we'll talk about that at another date. But I would highly recommend you go to Fairbanks, Alaska. It's a cool town. It's kind of weird. Fairbanks is Alaska, and Alaska is Alaska, and it is not like everywhere else. And that will become obvious almost from the moment that you walk out of the airport. You will you will discover the difference between Alaska and the rest of the United States. And I'll leave it for you to discover what that means because I again I could spend an hour talking to you about Alaska, my impressions of Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaskans, um, you know, just the culture of Alaska in general. And, you know, I only know what I saw for seven days in Fairbanks. You know, Alaska is a big place. I didn't even get down to Denali. You know, it's three and a half hours from Fairbanks to Denali. And that's just to the park entrance. And the park itself is enormous. Um, and, you know, the weather wasn't great for seeing the mountains anyway. It was uh, the first day we got there. It was really, really warm. 85 degrees, locals thought that was just, you know, intolerable heat. Whereas to me, I'm like, "Eh, this ain't so bad. But then it changed to typical weather, and it was in the 60s and raining pretty much the whole time. And not hard rain, but, you know, cloudy, drizzly, drizzly, and then harder rain, and then drizzle and cloudy and foggy and whatnot. Very Pacific Northwesty type weather. Um I gather that August is the rainy month. That's what the locals are telling me is, is that's when they get most of their rain. So, yeah, Alaska is an interesting place. Could do a whole segment on just Alaska's different. And I, lo- I like it. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely feel like I could live there. I would definitely trade the sub-zero winters for having to come back here to the midwest and step out of an airplane and it's 98 degrees and 95 percent humidity i would give that up in a heartbeat and i would gladly trade that for minus 25 degrees uh, you can always put more clothes on but you when it's 98 degrees and 95 percent humidity it's just miserable and there's not a lot you can do about it other than lay in the water somewhere so 
I'll quit yammering on about Alaska and how much I love it and how I'm trying to figure out how I can live there and sign off and say, reporting back, unfortunately, from Overland Park, Kansas, this is Jeff, your effing librarian, dreaming of Alaska and when he can get there next. Uh, we love Jeff Danielson. Nice work up in Alaska. I'm a little bit jealous. Actually, take it back. I'm a lot of bit jealous. I'd like to go, but that's it. You've done it. You've heard the fish nerds again. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's a podcast.